Welcome back to the Gentlemen's Dojo. Beautiful intro. Uh, Thank you. To my left from Detroit, Michigan. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he's just recently got back from a health checkup, I believe. You can tell us about that. He is uh, Gary Cannon. And to my right, just back from Chicago, Illinois, Steve Byrne, everybody. Well, thank you. Well, thank Steve, you. I was bummed that I didn't get a chance to spend the weekend with you in Chicago. But I do know a lot of our fans who listen to the show regularly yes. came out to see the show. So yeah. I was sad that I didn't get to see a lot of them, which was great. They're always loyal. They're great. And I was telling you off air before we started that, no joke, I went into the dentist a couple of days ago to get my teeth cleaned. And yeah. the dentist told me that I need to lose weight. And that is never a good sign when the dentist, not even your primary <laughs> care doctor, gives yeah. you a pamphlet on how to eat better and exercise. Yeah, when you're picking up prescription pills from your pharmacist, your pharmacist yeah. is like, you might want to lose a few. My, my, my dentist is putting the, uh, the blood pressure <laughs> strap around me. When your veterinarian is telling you you've got to lose weight, that's not a good sign. I put my feet in the stirrups. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, the tune we're listening to right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slither. Great band, Velvet Revolver. We are blessed and honored to have a rock star on yeah, our yeah, show yeah. today. Usually it's comedy stars, which... NHL stars. Is not the same. Yeah. Um, but this gentleman also, theme music for Sons of Anarchy, uh, theme song for Sons of Anarchy, theme music for F is for Family, did the theme music and uh, all, all the tunes for uh, Sullivan and Son. Two out of three ain't bad. Gary. <laughs> Dave Kosher, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. We love that Dave has, has actually just got back from the gym, very physical, great shape, good looking, and he's chowing on cupcakes. <laughs> he's just going nuts. They probably don't even affect you, right? This is No, they don't. But this is what happens when you... Is this thing on? Oh, yeah, yeah. there we go. There we go. There's a sweet spot. This is what happens when you have kids. You yeah. actually look for the one that there's two of. Because there's two red velvets, so oh. I ate that one. So then the selection is still even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the kid wouldn't know if one was gone. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, wow. But, but by the way, can you like what do you do at the gym? I mean, obviously you're in good shape. Do you uh, all cardio or combination of weights? I like too? to do a combo. I like yeah, to mix yeah, it yeah. up a little. You know. Yeah. Someday it's uh, you know gymnastics. Flipping. You don't feel you don't feel guilty <laughs> yeah. though about having the the cupcake. You're okay with it. I do, but I just oh, you know, you're like, I put you it in a out. closet, like in yeah. my in my psyche. I just put it away. I stuff it. Yeah, it's like a feeling you don't want to feel. I'm getting a little turned on right now, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Say it to me wait slower. Till I, wait till the part I take my shirt off. <laughs> Say it slower and lick your lips. <laughs> Hold on, let this me is eat getting this off to a weird. Shirt. Start, but rock stars in general, yeah, are, are a weird. In good shape mm -hmm. though. Yeah, I mean. Jack Other Black. than Meatloaf, I can't think of like a really fat like <laughs> rock star. Even like yeah. Gene Simmons, he's kind of like pushing the boundaries of being. But he's a lot older. But why is it rock stars are always such in good shape, but comedians we just look like cubicle workers? Because being out of shape is funnier than being in shape. That's true, Gary. For a comic, Gary, you're off comic. to the races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You right. are off to the races, my friend. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> now you, did you know? Coming up in, I assume you start picking up, a, what, a guitar in junior high school, high school? Yeah, junior high. And is it just like, this is fun, this is great, do you ever, did you ever think you'd be, you know, to like the highest of highs in terms of being a rock star and getting to do all those festivals and everything? Did you ever dream of that or was it just like, this is a hobby, this is kind of fun? Uh, I, you know, it's weird, it's less interesting, but I, de I never really dreamt of 
being a rock star and the chicks and I just my my mom had a guitar in the house. Yeah. And I tried playing it and I took lessons at school. Mm-hmm. I tried to play Stairway to Heaven. It was too hard, so I gave up. For two oh really? Years. Yeah. And then I just was like, I didn't care about guitar. And then some girl was in a punk rock band. And she showed me how to play bar chords. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's kind of easy. And I just started playing <laughs> songs like, oh, you can play Louis Louis. Wait, I just moved this shape around. And and then for some reason, I just got really into it. And what did you like growing up? I liked uh, toy action figures. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but did, did you start learning the guitar a little bit more because you liked the girl in the punk rock band? Were you trying to impress her? No, she was so unattractive. Really? Believe it or not, yeah. Wow. She, I just really liked smoking pot and t- drinking beer and liked something where at that point I could just sit still and do. Because I liked doing things, but I didn't like you know being mobile at that point. Yeah. So I was already burned myself out on sports. Did you know. she know that she was that unattractive? Or, yeah, like, <laughs> you're not, we I have think... her on the phone. <laughs> I'm sorry, this Kathy. This is weird. She just did a boring makeover. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, that was a long, long time. I am really old, believe it or not. So what is your first band? Is it in high school, while you're in high school? Because uh, you've been in so many bands. Like, I would literally list yes. them, but it's just been a plethora of bands, and it just seems like... Ba- you're constantly like leapfrogging from one gig to another gig to another gig. What was your first? Uh, because I got into punk rock, I actually started as a singer, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah, because I mean, you don't need a lot to sing in a punk rock band. Yeah. You don't need it back then. So I tried singing as I was, you know, honing my guitar skills mm-hmm. with the bar chord. And, uh, and I was in a band called... The Mofos. That was my first band. Yeah? The Mofos. <laughs> I used to make little flyers, and I'd draw the flyers, and we'd have little punk rock shows, and that was my first band. What is the band to this day that you, <clears throat> if you could be in a time machine or just anything, if you could just place yourself in that band, who would that be? Um, probably I would be the second guitar player in Van Halen right around when they made Fair Warning. Yeah, yeah, that would be. She would have grown up in Pasadena. Yeah, and that's not far from where I grew up. I actually I grew up right down the street from where we are right now. Yeah, I got my first punk rock haircut across the street. There was a there was a place that did like punk rock. No, it wasn't Floyd. (laughs) (laughs) Super. I think Floyd was actually probably in elementary school at the time. (laughs) Steve, if you were, I know that you're a comic technically, but if you were in a band. Would Shut you, up. Who would you go with? Like the Go-Go's? The Captain Tennille. Is that what you want to hear, Gary? <laughs> Fucking piece of shit. You'd be Tennille. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, let's, let's cut it. I mean, you went, to, you went to high school at Slash, right? Yes. And did yes. you know back then, was he that uber talented that you, you're watching this guy like, oh, this guy's going to. He, you know, he's one of those guys that was like that you get jealous over that just like everything falls into place or Mm -hmm. you can do everything good. He was definitely one of those guys. Like when we were in junior high, he was, we used to, you know, skateboard on banks at schools Mm -hmm. and there was certain schools like Laurel school, uh, Laurel elementary or uh, Gardner on sunset and Gardner had banks. And we, you know, climb the fence with skateboards or bikes. And he was like the, like, you know, the, um, just like the best BMX biker you would see. And then he disappeared 
for a year and he came out and he was the best guitar player that anyone knew. Jeez. And he's just that asshole. I just mean, guy. that guy that, that just guy. it just works out. Yeah. And then when when everything exploded for him, were you were you not shocked at all? Were you just like, oh, there you go. Yeah, saw that coming. I mean, you know, the level of bigness that Guns N' Roses is, mm-hmm. it's still like, you know, I mean, I was in a band with those guys, and then to see like pictures on social media of the stadiums that they're playing now, right now, yeah, it's just so massive, you know. And I've been in those situations, but still, when you see it, like, those guys are touring fucking stadiums, like, yeah. And to to know that that was the guy that you tried to get to smoke pot with you, you know, like at age 15, <laughs> he's like, no, dude, I just drink because when I smoke pot, I get too stoned. Yeah. And to know that that guy is that like a like a legendary guitar player is still hard to wrap my brain around. But I mean, isn't it hard to wrap your brain around the fact that you're I mean, you're part of Velvet Revolver. I mean, that is like the super group of super groups. And I. Were there times where you're on stage playing and you're just like, this is fucking crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Long and short. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, the the, the one, the one How thing... How surreal that, is it? The one thing that comes to mind, the one uh, event was when we did um, uh, Live 8 and that big concert in, in the UK mm-hmm. at um, Hyde Park. And the backstage area was a big common area and there was just trailers and a big... Um, um, square area, you know, and in that area, all the people that played on that day were all just commingling, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the day we played was with uh, Elton John, Paul McCartney, you two, you two played with Elton John, Pink Floyd reunited for oh that my God. show, The Who, uh, who else played with us? Madonna, Sting, Snoop Dogg. Uh, and then Brad Pitt just happened to be there, and then you know Coldplay played with us too. So Gwyneth Paltrow was there, and uh, the guy, the Microsoft, uh, what's his name, guy, the main guy, Bill Gates. Bill Gates was there, and, and it was like literally walking around amongst all of these Jesus people. Christ. And for the first hour, my wife and I were just like in shock, literally. <laughs> and she had a camera, so she was taking pictures of everyone. Is in. Then all was back to reality because she almost got kicked out. Like two guards had her by the arm. Right. And they were going to throw her out for taking pictures because she would just walk up to people and take pictures. And then we had to get managers and kind of settle the situation down. But it was definitely that. Was that the greatest gig you think you've been a part of? It was the biggest because it was a quarter of a million people. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was like a pinnacle because it was – just the the density of star power yeah. that I was commingling with was <laughs> to, like it's fucking overwhelming. Like yeah. I had a lot of experiences like that, and thank God my wife got into photography because I have a lot of amazing pictures. Because I would never be the guy like, "Hey, take a picture with me," right? And plus, back then it was like Blackberries were had black and white screens, and you couldn't yeah. really take pictures with them. And and uh, so you know, I have I worked with you know Elton John doing some thing and have a great picture with him or <clears throat> Paul McCartney or Jimmy Page or that's crazy. You know, yeah. Brian May and all these guys that I grew up listening to that were like my fucking heroes. All in one space. Yeah. Unbelievable. By the way, like how has the business changed over the years? Because obviously when you started years ago, you guys were just in the clubs working, getting better, just 
getting your brand out there. And now, I mean, with all of these different forms of media, uh, with with YouTube, with these reality shows, like how has the business changed? Is it for the better, for the worse? What do you think of it, Dave? That's a big question for a guy that's only eating one cupcake today. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, there's six more in there, Dave. Uh, okay. Um, you know, it's it's really fucking different. Can you cuss on this? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good, good. Fuck. We're the only ones <laughs> listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really different because back then you would make records to sell records and you would make probably more money selling records than you would touring. And now it's the opposite. You don't make any money selling because you, you can't sell records. You know, why are kids nowadays just have no concept of paying for music because they never have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and the I mean you guys know you did a TV show. It's like the the demographic that you go after is the 18 to whatever kids because those are the people that buy the most stuff. Right. And if those people aren't conditioned even or have no awareness or totally ignorant to the system of buying music, then you know you you're just spending a hundred grand or fifty grand to make a record and you can't sell it so you have to tour and it's the only way and so it's kind of upside down you know there's no major record the major record companies just deal with the big stars everyone's doing it on their own there are more ways to make money but it really comes down to like more like licensing and trying to get your song in a commercial or trying to partner with a sponsor and i mean you you kind of really have to be clever about it unless you're like me where you've got one foot in the old paradigm and you're trying to kind of you know figure out the new i mean kids nowadays probably have it more figured out than i do that they just know that we got to license music because then that's the only way we're going to make money or we got a tour and so you know it just depends on um how you're how smart you are because we we see it this way like sometimes when there's these youtube stars that post stuff up they get pretty famous pretty quickly but then when they're kind of thrust into the real world and have to go out and tour do other things they're not ready for it because they're too young they're too naive they don't know the business side of it yet where when you put in as much time as you do or when when, you know steve and i did you know working you know shitty shitty places for a long period of time like you're better prepared for it when that moment does come but i think so many of these people early on they're thrust in very quickly and then they're not prepared for it yeah i agree but i think that comes with uh having success in any arena at a younger age versus like us you know having it a little later because i didn't get into velvet revolver till i was i was already 35 years old so uh, you know it's like i was a you know nothing that even close to that level had happened for me till i was that age i was actually working at raleigh studios like you know unloading five ton trucks with props on them and stuff you know in between trying to be in bands and so you know yeah i i had more uh, wherewithal of the the business and my feet under me and all this kind of you know stuff you learn just with time whereas if you're an actor or a comedian or any kind of entertainer that all of a sudden has instant success at the age of you know 19 21 years old you are, I don't know, you're destined for a big <laughs> crash. I mean, it's like Guns N' Roses. I mean, all those guys, that that band blew up. Those guys were, you know, 21 years old. Right. And look at how they all ended up. You know, thank God they're all alive. But yeah. they all died at different times. 
What is your fondest memory of Scott Weiland? To I mean, he's like one of the great frontmans of our generation, and um, you know, you hear about all those troubles or whatever. What, what, what's like a, a a really great memory you could possibly share? Something that's pretty positive about the guy. I don't really have any. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's edit that part out. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> no, you know, it's funny because I I known I've known Scott our new Scott since before he was in SDP. And we he had a band called Mighty Joe Young, and I had a band called the Electric Love Hogs, and our bands used to play together. And I remember, oh, he's cooking so good. <laughs> um, I remember, I remember the day that uh, that his band got their record deal. Mm-hmm. I remember we were at, um, I think it's Cheetahs now. I don't even know if it's Cheetahs still the strip club, but it used to be this- Gary club (laughs) (laughs) called shamrock which was you know music venue this little club right down the street and um and i just remember seeing him and he was so clear-eyed and i want to say almost innocent and you know kind of like what you were describing that younger version of just like Mm -hmm. oh man we got a record deal and we got signed to atlantic and we're working with this new producer guy and his name's brendan o'brien and you know, he's kind of like coming up the same way we are. And we didn't get a lot of money, but we have con- creative control. And, and it was just, it was amazing to see the, I'm glad I got to see that side of him, you know, right. and experience the, the the real person inside of what he later became. Because I got to see like the innocence and the, you know, the gratitude and all those mm-hmm. things you want, you know, for your kid. You know, you want your kid to have all those qualities. And I saw all those qualities in him. And it was, that to me is my fondest memory of, you know, getting to see that side of him. And and it made it easier, you know, being in a band with him, having known him for so long to be able to, you know, tolerate the, the frustrating parts of it. Because I at least had seen that side of him. Whereas no one else in the band had seen that because they had right. all known him later. What is it like touring... Like when you're, you know, you think sex, drugs, rock and roll, you guys are killing it. But like when you're 35 and you're touring and all those guys are a little older, is like a Velvet Revolver tour a little, obviously it's a lot different than when you're 21, but what is that tour like? It was, um, it was like an episode of VH1 behind the music, like pretty much every day. In really? This, in the, Where? I think, <laughs> I think it, it was like... For me, I got married actually right when we were mixing our first record, right before we started touring. Perfect timing. Yeah, and even like the drummer, <laughs> even our drummer, like on the on the wedding video, is like, yeah, you know, I was talking to Dave, and I'm like, man, are you sure you want to do this right now? And right. It's, it's like that's like on the official wedding video. It's There's still like, time. I don't know, yeah. but he seemed ready, you know, and I just I'm like, dude, we're gonna meet a lot of girls on the road and. And, uh, you know, it's funny because literally at that point, um, three of the, three of those four guys were all married and had two kids each, you know, Duff, Slash and Matt all had two kids each. They were all married and Matt did all the work for all of us. Like we all lived vicariously through Matt as far as all the other stuff. Like he actually would have a room on the other side of the arena, Mm -hmm. like just for, you know, his antics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, but it it was, 
But it was rough because, you know, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> the pain. <laughs> it was rough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, more cupcakes. But it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, no, it was right. But then, in all seriousness, there was a lot of, uh, you know, rehabs and drugs and, and people not, you know, all the stress of like a mini Guns N' Roses as far as like people not showing up and you couldn't find people. And, you know, we're all waiting to go on stage and right. they're like, where is, you know, whichever guy it is. Usually it was one guy, but. You know, and it's just, it was fucking stressful. On the other side of the arena having an eight-way. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes it was, you know, Scott, like, dude, where where is he? You know, and then calling his assistant, like, dude, where is he? He's like, yeah. I have no idea. And then <laughs> one time we played Stubbs in Austin, and he called him. We're all calling him. We were, like, already, you know, an hour, uh, 40 minutes late to go on. And people are booing, and you're just like, "Where the fuck <laughs> is this guy?" And and the tour manager called his called Scott's cell phone, and Scott happened to answer, and he's like, "Hey, man, what's up?" <laughs> he goes, "Dude, where the fuck are you?" He's like, "Oh man, I'm not really sure. I'm uh, I'm just like on these streets." And he's like, "Dude, Jesus. just look around, find a building, yeah, and tell me what color is it where." <clears throat> so the tour manager Pete is describing what Scott's describing to like some local, you know, guy uh, to try and find him and go pick him up. Yeah. And so finally he's like, just keep walking. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> all we're hearing is Pete's side, you know, Pete, like, just keep walking till you see a building that you can describe. Do you see a street sign? Do you see any? He's like, Oh, I see. And finally, like he showed up and he had like a, he had like a, I think an implant or a tooth that it, a cap that had like come off and he tried to like push it back in, but it was still like halfway hanging <laughs> off. <laughs> he was just like it was a mess. He's like I'm in front of a welcome to Denver sign. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> You're in the wrong state, man. It was bad. But drugs are such a part of, uh, of the culture and the fabric of of rock and roll. Do do drugs actually make the creative process in your opinion better or do they hinder the creative process? Uh they make everything better, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's why people do them. No, uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, I think that if you are, uh, if you're a creative person, I think you're very, um, you know, in your head a lot. You have a lot of fears and insecurities mm -hmm. about your art. And basically you're, I mean, you guys know it's even worse for you guys because you guys go out there by yourselves. Yeah. You know, it's just you. You don't even have a band to commiserate with afterwards. It's just, you can just feel shitty by yourself when you bomb. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you yeah, just like want to punch yourself in the face or whatever yeah. thing you go through. And I think if you're a creative person, you're, you have this thing you want to get out of you, mm -hmm. you know, and you have this fear of how the world is going to either accept it or throw it away. You know what I mean? And that is basically how you're going to make a living or not. Yeah. So it's all like fucked up from the beginning. And then... You know, but if you do drugs, then you can be free of all those fears and inhibitions and mm -hmm. you can just go do your thing. But, you know, what what would be great is if drugs came with like this line that you would just see and they're like, okay, don't cross that line. You right. can do everything you want. Right. Just don't go past the line. And if I knew where the line was, I could have just stopped there and just teetered on the line yeah. for the rest of the time. But, you know, and then you go past the line and then you're fucked. And then you're just, everything gets fucked up.
but you seem so level-headed and since i've known you you seem like the person that maybe you crop but you have definitely always you know always been level-headed since about three yeah. years old <laughs> but you know what i mean you haven't like maybe you've crossed that line on on occasion in the past or something but you definitely don't seem like the person that is crossing the line and endangering all the things that you've worked for and you know, yeah. you got a family and all that stuff, and it seems like there are there are other rock stars that definitely don't give a shit. Yeah, I. Well, my thing. I mean, to be honest with you, it's like I crossed the line so far that I didn't even have any awareness that there was a line at one point. Right. But you know, luckily I didn't die, and I have kind of turned a corner with that stuff. Yeah. But you know, I was there. I was there right where everyone else in the band was. Except I just did it earlier, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess, you know, having had a long time not doing those things, and you know, kind of, I, I, that's it, really. It's yeah. just like you know, I had a long time of not doing those things, of not killing myself on a daily basis, and you know, when I got in the band, it just was kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was it was guys I had known, guys I'd gone to school with or guys I'd known for a long time guys I was friends with and got in a situation and you know it was it was an opportunity for me to kind of go you know okay I know what that guy's going through so I'll try and help him or whatever right so but, how do you how do you transition from well not trans but how do you get into doing all this work for different TV shows how does that happen the you know cause you, what, what was the first one that you did uh, the first one I did was Sons of Anarchy. Okay. And that was... Do they know, approach you? Do you... How does that work? I just got... You know, dude, I just stepped in shit that way. I got really lucky. And I... The band had just fired Scott. And I wasn't... I was in an impasse. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I shared a studio with our, uh, you know, old friend, John O'Brien. And and I just said... You know, I, I kind of looked at it like a like a project. You know, what... The only way I'm going to make money is if I go on tour. And so what do I do? You know, do I become a producer? Do I start doing TV music? And and I just asked a couple guys, like, how'd you do it? You know, what'd you do? And they kind of gave me some pointers. And by total coincidence, I went to dinner with a few friends of mine. And some one of the guys, you know, said, oh, I just got this job. And I'm doing the music for this cool new show. It didn't start filming yet, but it's called Sons of Anarchy. And you know, we kind of laughed at the name. We're like, that's kind of goofy. And, you know, he said, it's kind of like Hell's Angels meets the Sopranos. And if you guys want to write something or you have some ideas for music, you know, just let me know. And I always just am conditioned to say no to everything. But so I said yes, you know, and I said, let's, I got this thing. And so we wrote a thing and it became the theme song. And then we got nominated for an Emmy for that song. And But you lost to a PBS show. How... Oh uh, yeah, that? <laughs> no, we like... lost to John Williams, dude. Oh, jo- oh, well, there you yeah. go then. Yeah, that's even more. It's like yeah. really, you need another one. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, like give a little guy a break, you know? Why it's are you not gonna bad, even put me in the same company, category? Right, your first yeah. theme song, you're up against John. But Williams. But it's like, how unfair is that? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> us and two other cable shows and John Williams. Yeah, like it's just not right. It's like you just they set us up to be mocked. Basically, yeah. <laughs> but is that that's got to be a great gig, especially like an in-town gig, and that you know you can put music together for these shows. I mean, it's got to be awesome, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, the the one part I left out is is when all that stuff was going on, my my first kid was born. 
So it was, right. and he was colicky as fuck. Oh, like I don't know if you boy. know about colic. I don't know if you're a parent, but it's fucking. It's just like he's, you know, they're inconsolable. Yeah. Like day and night, and you just get no sleep. You want to toss them out the window. Yeah, no one's gonna hear this, right? Just you. <laughs> just us. <laughs> you know, and it's rough, man. And it's sure. just like, and and so I didn't want to leave because I'm just like, that's just right. I can't just leave my wife with this, you know, monster. Not monster. But, you know, like, <laughs> this like like this this situation and it's like so luckily that fell into my lap and then you know being a having my wits about me i just called my old agent and said i need i think i need a tv agent i just got nominated for it how do i parlay this into you know some work and again ever since then every job i've gotten was through someone i knew that same guy knew ended up working on a on a abc cop show and then we got the job, John and I, as uh, you know, doing the underscore for that show, and then those guys, John knew, you know, this the Peter B. and Vince, who I had met when they first came to L.A. Right, and you know, then they knew Steve, and then Steve got a show, and then they asked me if I wanted to do the music for that show, and then that turned into those guys work with, you Bill know, Burr. Bill Burr, and it's like I've been. I've never got, I've never, I love my agent. I've never gotten a job yet, yet through my agent. It's It's all always people. Recommendations. I mean, what a great first gig. I mean, you come out, first great gig, Sons of Anarchy, nominated. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. And then it just keeps snowballing. What was the idea for? I know about snowballing might be a little little Softballing. How did the theme song for Sullivan come up? Like, what was the idea behind it? The I, honestly I, I know this sounds like if I heard someone telling this story, I'd be like, that guy's so full of shit. But the truth is, I thought it should be some song that you feel like you should know, because if there's a bunch of drunk people all singing it, you know, like when you go into those bar, you know, when you go into a bar, you know, and the everyone's song. like really fucked up, and they're right. all singing along, or they're all singing a song, they're not even singing along with anything they're just singing along with each other and they're yeah. like oh, they all got their glasses up and they all know the same song even though you can't really understand blinded it. by the light yeah that's <laughs> that's what i wanted it to to sound like so you know me and vince the guy that did it we i just said just let's just sing some melody where it's you think like oh i should know that song and then we just all we just like quadruple tracked us singing the song like as if we were drunk Right, and that sounds like a bunch of drunk guys singing a. Song. It really does, and it's I, I don't know I liked it I liked the thumping it was very Celtic yeah. it was upbeat and I remember we were sitting around we got the track we got to listen to it and it's like you know obviously you're you're you know you're just sitting there like oh my god I this is like one more aspect of like wow this TV show is really happening here's a theme song we get to listen to it. I think we all just looked at each other we smiled we're like it's fucking awesome don't need much work with that I think there were like minor tweaks that I think that. Peter B. had heard, and then he's like, can we do that? But I was like, that's fucking, fucking yeah. great. Yeah, it's very jovial, which I thought was great. Did was you magic. know as you were writing the theme song that the show would eventually be canceled? Yeah, but Gary. I thought it would be canceled sooner. <laughs> no, Now, Dave, you are a rock star. You work with comedians. What are the biggest similarities you've seen? in, in Because every stand-up dreams of being a rock star, and we hear... 
comedians hear that rock stars want to be comedians. I don't believe that. I think everybody wants to be a rock star. I think comedians want to be rock stars. What are what are some of the biggest similarities you see between the two different art forms? The, I think the biggest similarity is that you really, I see the integrity might be a strong word, but but you know I see the work ethic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like anyone that wants to be like, for instance, Slash, you know, that guy still to this day plays his guitar every fucking day, mm -hmm. like I incessantly. Like he's the guy like when we would all get to a, you know, we get to a hotel at two in the morning, mm -hmm. everyone would get off the bus and I would just watch like reruns of Law and Order during mm -hmm. the day. <laughs> yeah. And he would literally he would always take a guitar with him. Like right. he just sits there and he he may watch Law and Order too, but he's playing while he's doing it. <laughs> wow! Like he literally will play fucking hours every day, and that's why he's who he is, right. you know. And but and even on a smaller level, it's like you know I love playing guitar. I love you know doing what I do, and and I worked really hard at it. And I think it's the same with you know comics it's like it's not like you're you're just funny like go get on stage and like hey yeah, that guy's really funny yeah it comes yeah. really natural i don't even really try i just you know watch tv and then i get up there and but you guys really fucking work at it you know you you write you rewrite you go out you get in the clubs you're like that thing works that thing doesn't mm -hmm. and i think that too you know it's like it's like with a band you 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 want to make a great set you go you write songs you're like this song sucks for live because no you know it's too slow right you know so next time we'll leave that song out we'll do this and and you hone this thing this live performance and you guys do the same thing you know you're in the clubs you're like that joke this part of the joke doesn't work this part the part where i include the audience works better than when i exclude them and blah mm -hmm. blah blah and, and you know i think it's that same passion might be strong word too but you know like that yeah that kind of thing that drive that you know you and you love that we all love that fucking reaction i think the toughest thing i think on both ends the grass is always greener but with comedians they never want to hear the old stuff they want to hear the new stuff what's your new jokes we've heard that before but with like bands it's like you gotta play yeah. The old stuff, and you and you may have a killer new song, but sometimes they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, you know, they want to hear Paradise City. They don't right. want to hear the new shit, yeah. which I think is the weirdest dichotomy between the two different art forms. But we were discussing this. I think sometimes as comics, when you do the joke so much, so much, so much, that I've caught myself on stage where I'm on autopilot, and I, I will literally be delivering the joke, all the nuances... And then I find myself daydreaming, like, where am I going to go after the show? And I'm, like, literally having a, an aware conversation with myself, like, Denny's might be open. I could get pizza. I could, And I'm literally thinking about the food I want to – and I'm still present on stage like a shell with the, – the, the body is talking, but I'm in somewhere else. Do you do that on stage as well when, when you're repetitiously doing a song over and over and over again where, where – your fingers are just sliding against the fretboard, but you're just completely somewhere else. Most of the time I'm sleeping. I'm like literally <laughs> yeah. asleep. Yeah. If I'm leaning, like if I'm sitting on the drum riser, I'm yeah. asleep. For sure. <laughs> no, I mean, you you know, you do it and it's it's like anything. It's a, I mean, I'm sure it's more like that for you and me when you're on tour, mm -hmm. you know, especially. Because then you're just like, it's the same routine every fucking night because you're yeah. playing to different people so they don't have that desire to hear new stuff because it's like 
you've already got it worked out. You're doing the same thing every mm-hmm. night. And it's like, oh, this is the part where I jump off the drum riser. This is the part where I, you know, <laughs> go crazy. This is the part where I settle down. Like, literally, it's that yeah. kind of thing. But it's not by, it's not calculated like that. But you just, you know, you get into a routine and you're like, you know, I used to, like in, in Slither, when we used to play it, there was a certain part where I would run and, like, jump off the drum riser yeah you know i'd run and i'd like this part's coming up and i'd run i'd run i'd put my foot off and i'd launch off the thing and you know i'd do it every night to the point where you know i just (laughs) some nights where i was literally conditioned to do it and then i'd stop myself and be like really am i gonna do this tonight like really come on the thing with the jumping and whoa here comes the deal wow look at him go and Whoa, I can't believe that's so cool. Like, and I would have those conversations in my head as I'm playing. Yeah. And as I'm, as the part's coming up, like, <laughs> really, you idiot? Are you really going to, ooh, you jumped off the drum? Ooh, you know, like, you fucking monkey. Just like. But a good performer, the audience would never know yeah. that you're on autopilot. They don't know, they don't know no. the internal struggle. Right. The internal dialogue. It's, you know what it's like? It's like Danny DeVito in Taxi. It's like that voice, like, he's like, that when he used to yell at all the, the oh, drivers, yeah. like, Riga, you're an idiot. You'll never be anything. Like, <laughs> it's like we all have that Danny DeVito voice in our head, like yeah. in a little cage that's like, really? Mine is called Gary. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is you're when Steve's worst. on autopilot, there's not an audience that notices. Anyways. Hello. Yes. <laughs> what is, as we near the finish line here, I do want to, because we, we've gone over, but again, we've been enjoying spending time with you. That's always the mark of a great guest. That's why I'm here. I enjoy you, too. Normally, (laughs) Um, when Steve books guests, we're on for eight minutes, and then we wrap it up. But this is going longer. Anywho, (laughs) you are a rock and roll star. What is the one thing in in your iPhone that you would not want anybody else to know that you have downloaded in your phone? Lucas Graham. I love Lucas Graham. Yeah. I actually really like that song. I get a little emotional, but I have kids. The seven, what is it, seven years once, old? Once I was seven years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it all changes because it's like you got kids. You yeah. know, it's like, and then they, especially mine are six and eight, so they get to this point where they they, they like pop songs. Yeah. You know, and it's like every parent goes through it and they like, they like Lucas Graham, they like 21 Pilots, they like Ariana Grande, they, you know. I mean, they're not in the fan mode yet, but just, you know, it's like Kiss FM 102.7 or yeah. 97.1 yeah. is... You know, and they love pop radio because they can sing along because it's catchy. I mean, that's what pop music is. So, did I avoid that question? You yes. did. Okay. Who is, is there a pop star currently that you actually do respect and do think is talented? Or obviously, no. you're no. 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 <laughs> no. I like, you know, I, I like, it's funny, I, I kind of like 21 Pilots. I don't know really anything about them. Mm-hmm. But they kind of remind me of like a really new pop kind of Beastie Boys ish, you know, because they've got popular, but they're just kind of rappy, kind of songy. But I don't know what they look like or anything. And I did this gig and and Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park was was there and he was so effusive about 21 Pilots and how much, how awesome they were. Yeah. And it's just like I have so much respect for that guy that if he really likes him, now I like him. Oh, I never heard of him because I'm not a fucking pussy, Dave. Whoa. 
<laughs> yeah, I said it. Steve's my, a believer. Captain and Neil. My vagina. Away. My vagina loves music. Yeah. <laughs> my vagina loves music. <laughs> when, when you started making money, right, when you finally had some some money that a you lot could, of money, a when lot I of started, money. Lots. Come on, say it, Gary. What, when I was what, rich. What was the first thing you bought? Like, what was like your vice that you had to get? I bought. This is gonna sound re- okay. Two things. My wife. Uh, we were. We, I bought my That's wife. It. No. Bought her <laughs> on eBay. She's she, Russian. She, she lived. She uh, buy it now. No, I bought an engagement ring and yeah. I bought a car. Oh wow! Yeah. That's not what, what kind of car. And I bought a new bed. Because you spend a third of your life in bed. You do. There you, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bed. Someone's been to a sleep number store. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a great sales technique. <laughs> so the bed, the ring, and the car. I bought a Cadillac STS because that was my dream car. Like, if I ever make it yeah. someday, I'm going to get a Cadillac STS. But, yeah. they had, but the bummer was they had changed the body style, which I wasn't as into, and it was the worst car I'd ever had. Really? Yeah, I hope you're not sponsored by it. What do you drive now? Chevy. Now I have a, I just got a Chrysler 300S. Mm. It's awesome. Very fast. Dave's like, if I get famous, I'm going to get me a brand new car, and then I'm going to get a mattress so I don't have scoliosis anymore. Yeah. I'm tired of this <laughs> shit. You see how I sit. It's like I'm like a, the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> tired of the spine of Biffin. Well, where can everybody find you on Twitter, all that stuff, and keep up with you? Uh, nah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so hard to do that stuff. Dude. Why? I, I, I'm on Instagram, I think, uh, Dave Kushner, mm-hmm. and then on Twitter is Dave Kushner sixty six, and you are currently maintain that stuff. Like you know, who wants to fucking see a picture? Nobody wants to, but but... exactly. I I hate doing that shit. I know what you mean, but um, you're currently working on the thing with the poses. Yeah, I people do. love the poses. People love the Different poses. Locations. I get the people what they love. Yeah. <laughs> and you're working on season two right now of F is for Family, correct? Yes. And what else? What's on the horizon for you right now? Um, I have a a new uh, all star cover band. Nice. Called uh, the Hellcat Saints, and um, that's uh, that's going really well. You know, we did a a, a benefit for um, a cancer foundation called Rhonda's Kiss last November, mm-hmm. and it's you know it was a great gig. We had a uh, Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray and Duff from my old band, and Dave Navarro, Billy Gibbons, Billy Idol, Jeez. Kesha, and um, who else? Bill Burr. Bill Burr played drums. You were telling me that, he yeah. He played drums with Kesha, dude. And he's and actually a great drummer, right? He's a great drummer. And uh, Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses. It was killer. And then uh, we did another gig where, you know, with Chester from Lincoln Park mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, Joey, my old buddy from Queens of the Stone Age and the bass player from Ozzy's band. And so we've just been doing these gigs, you know, and, and it's killer. It's playing... You know, the three of us used to be in Danzig together, so we did a Danzig song. Oh wow! It's you know, it's just fun and it's it's really good money. Yeah, it's oh, a good. lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's like it, it, you just get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to make some money and I yeah. want to have some fun, and I've you know had integrity for a long time, and now I don't really need it as much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a mattress to pay for. Exactly. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they only last 10 years. That's right. Get one. <laughs> well, we cannot thank yes. you enough yeah, for entering for the dojo, thank you, spending Dave. time with us. 
And literally, I mean, you're a rock star. This is unbelievable that we got a I rock was. star. Let on me ask Dave. I know that he was saying that he's going to be yeah. bringing those cupcakes home to his kids. Will they be gone on the ride home? Will you have to scrape? Well, up I the... only have two kids, so I only have oh. to save. Two. two. What about, okay, two Maybe more. three. Okay. No, she's on a thing, you know, so two, really. Okay. So I can eat four. You can eat four on the ride home. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he does live close. Yeah. See if he can pull it. Okay. Dave, well, Dave thank you for uh, coming in. Yeah, thanks Thank for you so much me. for joining the dojo. Where can they find you? At Canon Comedy. And I want to pitch, and I hate pitching your shit because it, it terrifies me or pains me. You're on an upcoming episode of F is for Family, are you not? Yeah, I'll be in season two in an episode, and uh, this weekend, Charlotte Comedy Zone, and yes. Tampa, and there's a bunch of dates coming up. Other C-clubs in and around the country. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you.